I can remember my first day as a chaplain in the hospital. Myself and my fellow chaplains, we sat around in a circle in our classroom and our educator stood at the whiteboard. Father Ed, our educator, wrote two lists containing all of the various nursing units that we could be assigned to throughout the hospital. And he asked us a very simple question. Where would you like to serve? The options really just made me go blank. You know, I'm looking at these lists that had emergency department, ICU, two behavioral health units, oncology, medical, surgical, maternity, neonatal. The list seemed interminable. When everything was said and done and all the units were assigned, I had maternity and neonatal, and I also had St. Dymphna's, one of our behavioral health units. And with the units chosen, Father Ed looked at us and said, all right, you all know where you need to go? Off you go now, go on. <laughs> and of course, we just looked at him with utter bewilderment, like, what, this is our first day, you want us to go talk to people? Like, what, what is that? So he, he pointed at me and asked me to follow him into the office and he pointed to a paper in the printer, and he told me it was this mysterious thing called a referral. It meant that somebody somewhere said there was a patient who could probably use somebody to stop by, and he said it was specifically for me. So I, of course, had no idea what to do, and so he said, this is what you do. Take the paper and go to St. Dymphna's, that behavioral health unit you assigned. Go up there, pick up the phone, and ask to be let on. And when they come get you, show the nurse that paper and say, I would like to talk to this person. And so, surprise, surprise, if I did what he said, it happened exactly the way he foretold. Next thing I knew, I'm sitting in a little room with a patient, and after an hour, that patient left. And as he's walking away, I could hear him talking to some of the other patients, and he said, you know, that chaplain guy was really nice. If you need to talk, He'll listen. That was it. I knew what I needed to do. I knew where I needed to be. And my life would never be the same again. So just as an aside, uh, if, if my wife is watching right now on Zoom, if she is, hi. Um, <laughs> I, I, I can hear her thoughts right now as I tell this story uh, be, because Truth be told, I was, I was absolutely petrified to even step into a hospital. I mean, I, I hated the healthcare industry just out of a pure phobia, and I, I asked for the units I did because my naive self thought that they would have the fewest amount of needles and beeps and boops anywhere in the hospital. Uh, the day before, I actually almost uh, didn't go, and, and my wife and my parents very gently and calmly prodded me along. And I'm glad they did, uh, because going there turned out to be the answer to one of the most important callings that I've ever felt. So for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Josh, and I'm a chaplain at Holy Family Hospital. And I'm also a layperson and a member of this church. With this month's theme being beloved community, it felt right to talk about community ministry today. In fact, we are approaching 
what is typically celebrated as Community Ministry Sunday in the first Sunday of February. So it felt natural to have a Community Ministry Sunday here as well. So what is Community Ministry? I feel like we've used that word a few times in this service, but haven't really said what it is. The Reverend Dr. Dorothy May Emerson defines community ministry like this. Any ministry that seeks to bring healing and justice into the world beyond the individual congregation. And she continues to say, community ministers proclaim to the world by their visible presence that the church is engaged with the world. The hope of community ministry is to bring the work of the church to those outside of the church, to those in need. The work of healing, the work of justice. And that work can be done by everyone. The, the history of community ministry is not one that has been told enough, although I will grant that it is gaining some steam nowadays. When one looks up community ministry in Unitarian and Universalist history, the name that is always connected to it is a fellow named Reverend Joseph Tuckerman. Tuckerman is often cited as the very first UU community minister. He did his ministry down the road of peace in Boston and was specifically ordained to be a, quote, minister at large. Tuckerman worked with the homeless, the economically downtrodden, and the youth to try and improve their quality of life. He did really amazing work that brought healing and justice to Boston, and it is still felt to these days. His designation as the first community minister is, is a half-truth, because he is the first person ordained to community ministry, but by no means did he invent bringing healing and justice to those outside the congregation. In fact, historical Unitarian Universalist churches had a specific person designated to this task, and that person was called the deacon. There are two examples of deacons coming from this very church in its history. The first example that I feel like I have to name is from the 1730s. It's a fellow named Deacon Daniel Little. And he was appointed by the city to be what they called the overseer of the poor. As the overseer of the poor, Deacon Little would go to the margins, right? He'd go to the bridges. He'd go to the river's edge. He'd go into the streets to try and see what people needed. He would ask them and try and help to those outside of the congregation, to those in the community, he brought healing and justice. What I find really important, though, about Deacon Daniel Little is that in the city's documents, his name always appears as Deacon Daniel Little. Not as Mr. Little, not as Dan, but as Deacon Little showing that not only did the church view his role as an official ministry of the congregation, something they wanted to lift up, 
but that the community at large recognized that what he was doing came from a foundation of faith. One of the other people was a fellow named Deacon Ezra Chase. Deacon Chase was very involved in town politics during the revolutionary history. Uh, fun fact, he was actually one of the signers of Haverhill's ratification of the Declaration of Independence. He was also appointed to oversee the Revolutionary War widows and orphans. And like Little, everywhere his name appears, it is Deacon Ezra Chase, recognizing that the church saw his ministry as one of healing and justice, and also seeing the town, noticing that his ministry came from a foundation of faith. Now, so far, I've talked about people who have had their ministries officially recognized through either ordination or a commission. But there are so many other people who simply went out and did the work that they saw that was in front of them. Often, I find that these stories have been stripped of their faith origins and secularized so that way they can better fit in a general story that society tells. One of those people that I go to quite a lot is Dorothea Dix, one of the people who fought for reforming the mental health in, in the country in the 1800s. And she did so out of a deep, deep Unitarian faith. Another person could be Clara Barton, the person who founded the Red Cross, but was also a devout Universalist. And that is to say nothing of people like Florence Nightingale, who is a hybrid Unitarian and Anglican whose spirituality of nursing is still talked about by nurses to this day. Or even somebody like Henry Berg, who founded the American Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, who, I had to mention his name after I read a story of him literally jumping through a skylight to break up a dogfighting ring. I mean, I'm sorry, but when you read that story, you're making it into my sermon. Because uh, <laughs> that's just amazing. These people did not have the official ordination or commission of a congregation. Yet they lived their vocations in such a way that you can't not see their faith in what they did. They all brought healing and justice to the world and to their community in ways directly informed by their faith. I personally cannot help but look back at these people and see them as the shoulders upon which we are all standing. And even in this congregation today, I can see so many beautiful expressions of community ministry. And they are all wonderful expressions of our UU faith and values. I think for me personally, the most obvious one that comes to mind is community meals. I mean, it has the word community literally in the name, right? The opportunity for the congregation to welcome in people from outside to come eat, to have a repose, to have somewhere warm is amazing work of healing and justice. And that is to say nothing about how during the peak of COVID, those people went out into the community and they brought food to people. I mean, it's just amazing work bringing healing and justice to the world. 
I can also see community ministry in some of the work that happens with social justice. In particular, one thing that comes to mind is the work that happens with Afghan refugees and people here. I have heard stories of people from this church rearranging work, schedules, also that refugees who come here can go to the doctors or to immigration or learn English or American customs or so many other things. If that is not us living our faith and bringing healing and justice to the world, then I don't really know what is. And those are just two examples that came to mind immediately. One of the problems, though, that's inherent to community ministry, whether it's those that I just named or those from history, is that it tends to be isolated work. Our reading today by Reverend Teresa Nanan Soto speaks to this. Community ministers are like aspen pines, Soto writes. Why aspens? Well, because each one stands alone. Each tree stands and does its own thing. Think of those I named earlier, people like Dorothea Dix, Henry Berg, Florence Nightingale. They did their work in the community alone. I mean, they had others around them, but they were essentially alone doing their work. There is a reason why the faith behind their work has been oftentimes forgotten to history. Yet individually, they understood their work as holy work. They understood their work as a calling. I imagine that there are people who are here in these pews and on on the uh, Zoom right now, who are nurses, occupational therapists, teachers, plumbers, or so many other things, who understand what they do to be a vocation, similar to how I understand my calling as a chaplain. And I would argue, too, that all of us, to some extent, our community ministry aspens rising from the rich soil of our faith. So the question I want you to ask yourself this day is what do I do in the community? Is what I do in the community fueled or seeded or energized by my faith? Or put another way, do I feel like my faith is sending me to my calling? Notice I'm not talking about a job, necessarily. I I don't know if the people who do community meals or the people who help Afghan refugees would call that their job, though they may see it as their calling, or at least part of it. So what is your calling? To be a community minister, you have to have a calling to what you do and see it as your vocation as part of your UU values. And then you have to go. You have to go to the community to which you are called. As Reverend Elizabeth Wynne wrote, you minister to those you serve, and you cannot minister to them unless you're there. So if this sounds like you, if you are called to your work because of your values, and you go to where you are called, then you could be a community minister too. 
For me, as a community minister, Soto's words are so true. She explains she picked the aspen not simply because they stand so tall and alone doing their own thing, but she picked them because they do that and. They have these deep root systems that connect them to all of each other, helping each other with what they need and essentially forming one massive interconnected tree. My faith is what has called me to go out, but my faith is also where I return to at the end of the day, at the end of the shift, at the end of the visit, or at the end of the minute. My faith is what gives me energy, and it's you all that reminds me of that each week. So I hope that if you too feel called to community ministry, that you reach out, that you talk to me, talk to Frank, to Tori, to Claire, talk to someone. Let us know what's going on so that we can lift up your ministry and you in the process. My prayer is that this church does not simply continue its wonderful work in community ministry, but that it sings it out loud too. Amen. Amen.